Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, so that's, uh, that means it's my turn. Good morning, y'all. How are you? Um, a couple of things I need to say before I get started. Um, one of them just hit me this morning, and uh, it's, it's, I wasn't going to share this, but I think I should. Um, several, uh, several weeks ago, a couple months ago, I was praying over the church, all kind of things, and um, I said, Lord, I'd I, I kind of like to know what you're up to right now. And the Lord didn't give me much back, but what he gave me was strong, and he said, I am in the process of making you sweeter than you have ever been as a congregation. So, you know me, I'm all about fun and optimism and sweetness. I'm like, yes, Lord, I love this. And so um, uh, right off the bat, Shiloh and, and them last week were setting up for worship, getting everything ready during the week, and they lost like every musician. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to be like Shiloh and Scott and uh, uh, somebody on the bass. Lord, what are you doing? It ended up being so intimate and gentle and precious. And then today, we're, we're, as we're worshiping, um, the, the Lord whispered to my heart and said, you know, you guys have a problem with time. You worship time. And so I'm going to mess with your timing today. And I went, okay, Lord, we'll see what happens here. And so um, we have a couple little things get introduced. But then for me, the showstopper, which is probably going to be much better than my sermon either, is Kim Bond getting up and just testifying. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is wonderful. I mean, this, this really is uh, what I think of. You know, some of us have heard the fountainhead terminology in years past. You're really opening up just very sweet, sweet waters for us to drink from. And so what that means, though, for the rest of you is that it is 1107, and being Americans, we are not going to finish at 1130, okay? So here's the good thing. Um, uh, there, we are not in football season. So if, if any of you need to leave around 1130, this is a church of grace. You may do so. But I'll just ask you this question. If you get to 1130 and you get itchy, what are you rushing out for? Um, just ask yourself that because we've got a good message that I do not have the liberty from the Lord to cut down. We're going to lean into communion in a very different way, hence the different setup this morning. So um, are you guys ready? All right, good. Let me give you two announcements real quick. Um, we, ha- we have a need for musicians. Shiloh needs musicians um, on Sunday morning. There's just been a time of some turnover, particularly a drummer. Um, and I will help you understand why she needs a drummer at the end of the service, but she's in need of drummer, uh, maybe even drummer with an S, some drummers, um, guitarists. But if, you, if God has gifted you as a musician, um, if you're somewhat proficient, um, Shiloh can help fill in some of the missing blanks, but you need to see Shiloh. You can text her at Soto S at KPC. And from a couple of weeks ago, we've got a lot of projects that need to be done. It's the summer. Some of you have a little time. Will would love your help. We've got a whole list of things. Um, you'll see me power washing the church a little bit because for me that's not work. That's just fun. But love to have you join us for just some uh, impromptu work day. So uh, having said that, Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Oh, God, we worship you, and we thank you that we are the body of Christ. God, at one point, we were lost. We were lost in sin, God. We were, we were without hope in this world. 
and you rescued us. And today we get to celebrate that in communion. And Lord, my prayer for us as a body today is that we would taste and see that you are good long before we get to this table. God, whether it's through the testimony, through the worship, even through this prayer that, God, we would just taste your goodness. And Lord, we have a reminder of it as a nation uh, this weekend, really on next Tuesday, the 4th of July, when you set a whole nation of people free. And Lord, we celebrate the freedom we have as Americans. And God, I pray that we would live as free people, that Lord, we not only would be free from constraints, but that we would be free to give, free to bless, free to love you, free to proclaim you. Father God, we also, I just want to stop and I want to pray for our government as well. Um, Lord God, we lift up our president. Father, we pray for every lawmaker, every decision maker. God, we, we ask that you would just guide their hand, that, Father, we might experience more freedom as a nation, um, and, and God, that th- those freedoms would truly include spiritual freedom. So, Father, we celebrate it, we ask for it, Lord, and we thank you that, that God truly is a nation. We can say the Lord is good. And God, we, we love you, we honor you, we, we give you this word today, and we pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts about this amazing, amazing psalm and passage today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I gave it away in my prayer. Today we are going to look at one of the psalms, okay? Um, we've just been doing a bunch of singing. Many people refer to the psalms as the songbook of, of uh, the Old Testament, the, song, the, the songbook of God's people. That's actually very fitting. Um, but today we're going to look at one of them. It's a little past the middle. And, and the psalm that we're going to check out is very unique, okay? Now, give it away. It is Psalm 91. And this psalm is, is unique for many reasons, but here are a couple that you might not have known. First of all, Psalm 91 is regarded by most theologians as the most cheerful psalm. The most cheerful of all the psalms. Now, why, why would someone say that? Well, here's, here's why they would say that. Because most of the psalms, when you read them, contain some low notes, don't they? You know, we we read about some human misery, we usually get a little bit of agony, we get some sin, some, oh God, what is going on right now? Look at the wicked. Those are all over the psalms. Most psalms contain what we would refer to, we musicians would refer to as low notes. Psalm 91 has no low notes in it, okay? It's like Psalm, uh, Psalm 100, Psalm 80. It's just one of the few. There are no low notes in Psalm 91. Instead, it's 16 verses of the goodness of God, the protection of God, the presence of God, and the love of God in our lives. So this is a psalm that right from the very beginning, it's just an invitation, Okay, it's calling out to every one of us to step out of whatever we're in. And Mark, thank you for leading us through that in prayer. Sometimes what we're stuck in. But it's an invitation to step out of the junk and just into a really high spiritual place with God. And that makes it unique. The second thing that makes Psalm 91 unique is who the author is. Now, if you look in your Bibles, there is no signature, okay? We don't say, hey, this is a psalm of David, a psalm of Asaph. We sort of don't know who the author is when we, when we give it a look. But chances are, okay, and when I say chances, I mean real high odds. The odds are that the author of Psalm 91 is Moses. 
is the same author of Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is recognized as, a, as the, the song of Moses, the prayer of Moses. Psalm 91 is pretty much the end, the conclusion. It, it, it is a second psalm written by Moses. And when I say Moses, I am talking about the very same Moses that we know so well from the Word of God. We're talking about a man who knew a whole lot of hardship in his life. Moses endured so much. I mean, the short list is mind-blowing. You know, he's separated from his family right after birth. Okay, that, that's a low note, okay? That, that's a hardship. Um, he goes to, live, uh, uh, goes to live in Pharaoh's house. Along the way, Moses encounters experiences is guilty of murder. Um, he sees his people uh, enslaved, his brothers and sisters. This guy faces enemy armies. He goes through all of this, you know. But if, that, if that's not bad enough... Here's a man who spent 40 years in the wilderness being blamed by an entire nation for the consequences of their sin. So when I say Moses lived a hard life, that's not much of a stretch. And yet here he is writing this psalm that is nothing but high notes, nothing but testimony to how great God is. It makes it a very significant passage of Scripture. So having said that, listen to Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fouler snare and the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, God bless you, will be your shield and rampart. Some of your Bibles say buckler. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. One thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra and trample the great lion and the great serpent. Because... He loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him and protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him and be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Okay. Cheerful? I believe so, okay? What makes this thing so amazing and, and so uplifting for us is that, number one, it is a list of incredible promises for us. I, I should have done this. I didn't. I should have counted the promises to you and I in Psalm 91. It's astounding how many there are. But the other thing that makes it so uplifting is because of the Kim Bond factor, okay? Do you remember what Kim Bond did just a, a few minutes ago? She gave us a testimony. The impact of that testimony on you guys was incredible. We went from, okay, okay, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end, it was just wild applause. This is Moses testifying. 
He is saying, in my life, through all of these hardships, this is who God has been for me. And just like with Kim, you know, when you hear somebody testify, you realize they're telling their story, but what they're telling is for me. This is available for me. That, that's the beauty of a testimony. So Moses switches gears really quickly, and it's you, 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 all over the place. These promises and this testimony, God protecting, God providing, God loving, regardless what the enemy is in our life and regardless of what the, what the evil is. So this is why it gets that label and that distinction. So, having just mentioned evil and enemies, let's take a look in verses 3 through 6 at just what, 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 what some of these evils and enemies are. Verse 3, God will save you from the fowler's snare and the des- deadly pestilence. Okay? It would be very helpful for us in the 21st century if we knew exactly what that was. So let's start off with the first thing, okay? The fowler's snare, all right? What in the world is a fowler's snare? I'll break it down a little bit for you, and you guys are going to help me with this, okay? I think you can get it without me telling you. What is a fowl? Okay, I didn't hear anybody say it's something on a football field that results in a 15-yard penalty. Very good. You get, you're so spiritual today. Yeah, a fowl is a bird. So a fowler is a professional bird catcher, all right? It is somebody who lays traps for sweet, innocent, unsuspecting birds. The promise here from the Word of God is God is saying, look, I'm going to keep you. As my children, as my people, I'm going to keep you from getting fouled up like that. Wah, wah, wah. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to keep you as your God. I will, keep you, I will keep you away from those kind of hidden traps in your life that you never see coming. You step into and boom, you're caught. Promise number one. Second one, what in the world does, does Moses mean? And again, I'm giving the credit to Moses here. What does he mean by deadly pestilence? Okay, deadly pestilence, first of all, if, you're, if you live through the 70s, deadly pestilence is not a swarm of killer bees. Do you remember that, that fear we all had in the 70s as the killer bees were coming? Uh, parents, all right, or Sunday school teachers, deadly pestilence is not a horde of little children, okay? Sometimes, listen, father of six, sometimes, you know, I'm tempted to call them that. It's not what it is. Deadly pestilence here actually is it's, it's a Hebrew reference to evil in the demonic world. So God is, God is promising protection even right here from, from Satan. You know, deliver me from evil. This is God saying, I thought of that long before Jesus even gave that to you in the Lord's Prayer. So it's, it's, it's pointing to evil in the demonic world, but it's also, it's also pointing to eternal life. That, that, that is the birthright of every Christian saying heaven is going to be your destiny when this life is over. Now there's just two promises, right? Not too shabby so far. Are we in agreement? Well, let's keep going. Verse 4, more promises are coming. God will cover us with his feathers and give us protection under the shadow of his wings. Now, some folks are probably thinking, okay, Steve, we just went from wonderful with the first two promises to kind of weird. God with feathers, God with wings, what in the world are we talking about? But what this is, this is just the basics of baby chick protection, okay? Okay. Anybody got chickens in here? I've never seen chickens pull this off, but this is baby chick protection. Also, this is something Jesus talks about. He uses the same language in Matthew 23, um, verse 37, where he looks over Jerusalem and he says, How I have longed to gather you 
As, as, as a chick, uh, as, a, as a mother hen gathers her chicks together and cover you with my wings. So it's the same language Jesus uses here of shelter, cover, protection. And then verse 4 ends with another promise. God's faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Some of your Bibles say shield and buckler. And, and so what this promise is about, God is saying, look, my presence in you and my presence around you, it will not be a, a, just a, a suit of armor for you. It's going to be a double suit of armor for you. God here is promising double layer protection. Okay, don't think of bounty paper towels. Double layer protection for the people of God. And, and, and uh, in, in Hebrew, a rampart is a defensive wall. Okay, so God is saying, number one, you'll be behind a defensive wall and you'll be behind a shield. Folks, that is some serious protection from the hand of God. And so we hear about that protection, you know, and we, we get encouraged, but still, I talked about enemies, uh, you know, a minute ago. It, it would still be nice to know what kind of enemies we are promised all, all these glorious things for. I mean, who, who exactly, what exactly is all of this going to stop? Because there are a whole lot of enemies out there in our world. Well, good news, verses 5 and 6 list four enemies for us, okay? Let me, let me list them. Uh, number one, you will no longer fear... One, first enemy, the terror of night. Number two, second enemy, the arrow that flies by day. Three, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. And four, nor the plague that destroys at midday. How does that sound? Does that feel good? Well, it would probably feel even better with some translation. So let me just ID for you these real quick, okay? The terror of night, you know what that is? Who's been a child before? Anybody just born an adult? Okay, everybody's been a child, right? When we were children, many of us at night, when we had to go to bed, we were afraid of the dark. You know, or maybe we're with a bunch of kids at a sleepover, and they made us afraid of the dark with the stories they told. The terror of night is even us as adults, we fear things today just like we feared them when we were little children. There are things out there in the adult world that, you know what, they're beyond our control. There are things that lurk around the corners of our mind. It feels like there's something under the bed in life that's going to come out and get us. We're talking about unseen, irrational fears, all those what-ifs, 98% of them never materialize. That's the terror of night. God here is promising that that he will deliver us from that anxiety and, and just the way we get distressed like that. So that's the first enemy. Now, the arrow that flies by day, these are real enemies at life. These are people, these are situations, and we see them coming our way. They're coming directly at us. And it's like arrows being released in battle. We, we know they're, they're rushing right at us, people and situations in life. The pestilence that stalks in the dark, these are also real enemies, but these are the enemies we never see coming. Okay, these are like, and you can think of situations in your life like this. These are situations, it feels like an assassin slipped up in the dark and just got us. Or it's like a sniper bullet. You know, boom, we're just taken out. That's another kind of enemy. And then the plague that destroys at midday, this is a Hebrew catch-all phrase for any other plague and enemy out there in your life. This covers all the rest of them in one little phrase. So, so the, the, the deal here is, regardless of what the enemy is, 
regardless of what the situation is, God is saying, I got you. I got you. I got you. My perfect love will drive away your night terrors. That arrow that gets shot at you and and that, that, that bowman, boy, he took aim and he fired. Because of me, that arrow is going to shoot right or it's going to miss wide left. When it, when it comes to the, 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 that, that enemy stalking in the darkness, they'll get lost in their own darkness. They will never find you. And then for all the other plagues in life, God is saying, my presence will be like Israel's Iron Dome. Have you ever heard about the Iron Dome, this missile defense system they have in Israel? It's unbelievable. God is saying, my presence will be your Iron Dome, and, and I will protect you from all of those things. Man! I don't know about y'all, but I'm starting to feel encouraged. I feel strengthened. I mean, I read that, I just get excited. And I never get excited. I mean, it's just wonderful. So, you know, I mean, I mean, look at what God is promising us. And we could stop here, but the problem is Moses hasn't stopped here. In fact, there is one aspect of life Moses hasn't yet covered. He really hasn't covered the next life. He hasn't covered the afterlife yet. So verses uh, 7 through 10 tell us all about God's promises regarding the next life. And Moses in verse 7 starts off at a very realistic place, okay? He starts in the world we live, and he notes that during the span of our lifetime, we all have seen sin take its toll on humanity. You know, it, it happens to us all the time. We, we see people falling prey to the attacks of the enemy, falling into sin as we journey along. We watch, we watch people get taken out. And Moses says, you know, it's kind of like a thousand on this side, go down, 10,000 on your right. Uh, the, the, the enemy just laying hold of them. And it's all kind of stuff that we could list. You know, life-dominating sin, terrible, reckless, sinful choices, Pride, lust, perversion, self-destruction, hatred, lies, on and on and on. And Moses says, you know what that results in? A life of that? It results in a thing called the punishment of the wicked. And I'm going to tell you what the punishment of the wicked is in the Word of God. We live in an age where people, even some in the church, are trying to back off this concept of hell. You know, well, you know, hell, hell is just kind of a literary illusion. You know, there really isn't a hell. The hell is separation from God. Not according to the Word of God. Hell is a real place. It exists, and Moses points to it. There is a punishment of the wicked. But the promise is, that punishment is not for us. It's not for the children of God. Instead, our destiny, heaven and life. And so we get all this, you know. We, we kind of pause and go, okay, pr- promises of protection, presence, perfect love. Man, sign me up for this, Right? Well, we got to hold on because Moses still isn't done. So the sign-ups come in a minute. Wait, because we have a brief word on angels in verses 11 and 12, where God moves from his personal protection, which, man, do we have a lot of it here? Yes, God promising to protect, but he goes beyond that, and he promises the protection of his angels. And if you were listening to that last word, and especially the end of it, it was an angel guardian angel, it was angels. You know what that means? God is promising the protection of all of his angels for each and every one of us. Of his angels. Isn't that incredible? 
And, and you know, even when we, even if we want to say, okay, well, let's slice that up a little bit. Okay, sure, the promise of all the angels when we're really, really in big trouble. You know, like, man, when we have really stepped into danger. That's not the sense at all here. Because it says, in all of your ways. That means at all times in this phrase, I love the phrase, lift you up in their hands. I read that and the first thing that hit me was, you know what, God? That sounds like the angels are like spiritual secret service agents. That's precisely Moses' meaning here. I mean, lift you up in their hands. They're like a personal secret service for the people of God. You know, getting the door, clearing the path, radioing ahead, taking a bullet if, 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 if they need to. Wow. I, cheerful? Yeah, I mean, I think we're getting beyond the most cheerful psalm. We've got to think of a bigger word than cheerful. But now we get to the home stretch of this psalm where Moses testifies in just a few verses. And, and y'all, this is like fire hose testimony. Moses hits us with everything all at once. Listen to what he says in verses 13 through 16 of who God has been for him and who he'll be for us. You will tread on the lion and the cobra and trample that great lion and that great serpent. That is simply a promise of victory. And from the sense here, it's not victory in the sweet old by and by. It's, it's, it's uh, victory in the sweet here and now. Victory for the people of God. Verse 14, I will rescue and protect. The promise? Deliverance. And I'm going to tell you, Moses has got a right to preach about some deliverance. That man knew it. Deliverance for us. Verse 15, he will call on me and I will answer him. You know what that is? Clear connection, all right? Uh, Verizon Fios can't beat this connection, right? I mean, this is the promise that we will pray and we will be heard. And God will speak and we will hear him. Verse 15, I will be with him. It's God's presence. It's one of the most repeated phrases in Scripture. I'll be with you. Uh, Lo, until the very end of the age, I am with you. I will never leave and forsake you. Here it is once again. God will be with his people. Verse 15, I will honor him. Okay, and sometimes in our humility, or if we're really, really humble, we drop the H and say humility, right? In our humility, um, we don't like to, like to use language that says, you know, well, we'll be exalted, you know, because life is about servanthood. It's all true. But here God says, I will exalt you. I will lift you up. I will honor you because you wear this name. You'll be lifted up by me and you'll be lifted up with me. Verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him. This is not existence. This is not getting by. This is not surviving. This is, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. This is abundance. This is richness. Just the promise of absolute satisfaction. Not surviving, but thriving as a child of God. Verse 16, I will show him my salvation. Sometimes we as Christians think of salvation as an event In God's eyes, salvation is a process. Salvation is an everyday. It is revealed. It is moving from glory to greater glory to greater glory. And boom, there's the promise. So now you take your promises, protection, presence, and perfect love, and we add what Moses just threw on top of it. Angels, victory, deliverance, clear connection, salvation, satisfaction, exaltation, 
We hear all of that together, all right? We are cheered by the words of this psalm, and we say, yes, I love it, I want it, give it to me, Lord, sign me up, let's do those sign-ups right this second. And I have some really bad news for you, I can't do that. The problem is, even though I would love to, I can't. Because in truth, Psalm 91 is not for every person. It is not for every Christian. I wish you could see the looks on your faces right now. I, man, I could make money off of this. They, they really are. And see, here's why. Because the entire psalm starts with a whoever. It starts with a whoever, meaning some type of action, buy-in, step forward is required on our part. So it applies to somebody who does something specific, and here it is. It is only for those who make God their refuge and place all their trust in Him. It's for them. Because, folks, you can be a Christian. You can attend a church. You can belong to 19 Bible studies. That would be pretty impressive, by the way. But you can do all that and never make God your refuge and place all your trust in Him. And so when we look for an example of this, what, what, where do we start to look to find a, a model of this? I'll tell you a really good one. One of the most obscure people in the Bible is a woman named Anna. And if you remember Anna in the Gospels around the time of Jesus' birth, she was a person who never left the temple. You know, her goal was communion with God, just seeking to be loved and known and shaped and just directed by the, by the Spirit of God. She's a great example of this. So how do we do this? How do, how, how do we step into Psalm 91? Because the promises are amazing. How, how do we place all our trust in Him? Let's just take half of it. Forget for a moment, making the Lord our dwelling. How do we place all our trust in Him? Verse 2 tells us right off the bat. Note what Moses does. Moses is a man who is clearly moved from God as a concept. You know, God is a cosmic force. You know, God is just kind of out there somewhere. Moses does not say of the Lord in verse 2, God is a refuge. God is a fortress. He is a God. Or, or he doesn't even say he is the God. Moses says, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my fortress. He is my God. You see the difference? Big difference. What a big difference one little word makes. So stepping into Psalm 91, placing our trust in the Lord, this communion with God, it all begins when Jesus Christ becomes my Lord. And I become His child, His follower, and His servant. Pretty simple. But still we got the other problem. How do we make the Lord our dwelling place? says it in verse 9, says it in verse 2. The answer again, believe it or not, is in verse 2. It is when we rest in God. And by the way, Psalm 91, all of it actually boils down to just resting in God. This whole thing, meaning the psalm, this whole thing, meaning the Christian life, this whole thing, meaning just being drawn into God, experiencing all these presents, uh, promises, it all comes down to rest. It's all about leaning into Deuteronomy 33.12, the sweetest verse, I think, in all of Scripture. It says this, Let the Lord's beloved rest 
secure in him. For God shields him all day long. The one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Did anybody have an image come to mind when I read that scripture? Mark, I wish you were the size of a two-year-old. I'd model it right now. We all had that image of a little child being held in the arms of its parents. This is spiritual rest. Let me give you another example of spiritual rest. Hey, there's a baby on cue. That's awesome. Wow. Thank you, Lord. You're making us sweeter even there. Let let me give you another image of rest that I have. Um, Whenever I think of rest, I actually think of our dinner table. Now, some of you are thinking, hello, have you ever heard of a bed? Well, I have, I have. And that, that is a very good image of rest. But for me, my, my true resting place is our family table. You know, in, in the Keller home, I love it because everyone, and we got a lot of us, okay, there's eight of us and, and a, do, a couple dogs and a cat, but we all stop running around. You know, Ellie and Maddie at Starbucks and studying for school, Harrison being here and there and and working on getting married, you know, Lucy and Lydia, Noah, everywhere else, Jane and I doing our things, but we all stop running around. And we all come together to the same place for the same purpose. And that purpose is to connect with each other. It is to be nourished. It's to, for just an hour or two, to see each other and to hear each other. Everyone's there, sitting down together. We are eating the best meal. And yes, I did score points with that because my wife is awesome as a cooker, as a chef, Chef Jane. But we're eating the best meal, and we're just talking and sharing life. For me, this is a haven. This is refreshment, y'all. This is life to me. It's true rest. That is spiritual rest, whether it's the first image or the second, but especially with the table. You know, God has done that for all of us as, as the church. He has invited us to rest with Him at the table, to sit together, to eat, to drink, and to talk with Him. Have you ever noticed before that the spiritual table is all over the Word of God? It's everywhere. You know, I'll give you a few examples. Song of Solomon 2.4, this one's good. He brought me to His banqueting table. His banner over me is love. Oh, that is rest. Luke 14:15 Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Psalm 36:8 We feast on the abundance of your house and we drink at your river of delights. Psalm 23, you knew this was coming in, verse 5. Lord, you have prepared a table for me even in the presence of my enemies. So you might wonder, you know, what, what, you know, where does this all go? Well, it's obviously this invitation, everything else, but it, it is to point out that Sunday morning when we get together, this is actually our family meal. That, that, that's really what church is for the people of God. This is our family dinner. You know, this is our place of rest. This is where we recline together. We'll work on those pews, the lazy boy effect. I know that's the next phase of whatever, but we recline together and we are just refreshed. And so three things you will always see at KPC. You're going to see three main dishes, always. Number one, 
is the word of God, okay? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God, we are going to hear God's words in Scripture. We are never walking away from this amazing, this amazing document, this living, breathing word of God. The word of God also is um, hearing what God is saying by his spirit. You'll come to hear, you'll come to church sometimes, and every now and then someone's just going to pop up, and the Lord has put a fresh word from heaven by his spirit on their lips, and we're going to hear a prophetic word. You know, a word of knowledge, it's just, it should happen, it should happen in the church. Another way we hear the word of God is what Kim did. You know, someone just getting up and giving testimony of how great God has been in their lives. And then, of course, when it comes to the word, we're always going to center. We are always going to focus our worship around Jesus Christ, the living word of God. So the word of God is the main dish. There's a second one. And Shiloh, you might like this one. It is worship. And for it not to just be songs, you know, songs and musical performances, it's got to be in spirit and truth. Our spirit's communing with his spirit, wholehearted, getting drawn into the presence, the love, and the majesty of God. And then finally, the third main dish is prayer, where we communicate and we commune with God. This is how we, the people of God, we come to rest. We come to get refreshed. This is how, as a family, we lay our head on God's shoulders. And, and, and so we'll be doing that. And then the idea is this. We leave here after service, and we do our best with the grace of God and some determination to stay at the table for the rest of the week. You know, we determine that when we leave this place, we're not going to let this be the one meal we eat all week long. Has anyone ever fasted? Seven days. It's kind of tough to do, right? But we're not going to do that as, as, a regu- as a regular occurrence where we eat one time and then we forget about food, spiritual food for the next six days. So we want to stay in the Word of God, stay in worship, stay in prayers as the people of God. But we got to do that being, being very vigilant and alert and watching out for the three big enemies that come after our rest. And one of those enemies particularly comes after the Word and it's the Word of God in us, and it is the lies of the enemy out there. You know those lies come at us from society? You know, uh, Donald Trump talks about fake news. Well, fake news ain't the only fake out there. There are lies flying at us from every direction. We want to be vigilant against those. You know, sometimes other people, believe it or not, will lie to us, speak lies over us. Sometimes the person speaking lies to us can be ourselves. You know, we look in the mirror and we declare that we are something that does not line up with Psalm 8, which tells us how gloriously and wonderfully, fearfully we've been made perfectly by God. We can lie to ourselves. Sometimes even religion will lie to you. The church will lie to you. It can happen. Then there's another enemy, and it's an enemy of worship. It's an enemy of all three, but particularly worship. Because worship is all about what? It is about bowing down to the God of the universe. It is, it is about being on our knees, focused and loving the one who died for us, the one who is Lord. No one else is his rival. I tell you one thing, as an American Christian, we can spend all week long bowing down to other things, bowing down to fear, you know, bowing down to people, but, you know, all kind of stuff. So we, 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 bowing down to sin. This so easily besets us. And then, then we've got the other enemy out there, and this one is really sinister. 
Particularly, he is an enemy of prayer. But he can affect the other two as well. And this enemy is busyness. Busyness, clutter, drivenness, crowdedness. We've got to watch for those three enemies in our lives because the goal is rest, that we will be a people always at rest in the presence of Jesus. Speaking of rest, Jane and I are going to be going into a season of rest um, called a sabbatical. And some, some folks may still be asking the question, you're just hearing, well, why would the church do a sabbatical for a pastor, you know, because it'll start with me this year and it'll, it'll uh, we'll fold in, you know, Chris, Mark, Neil, other pastoral staff in the years ahead. Why would we do this? Is, is it because this is a best practices of churches that, you know, we say to people in ministry, you've been going a long time, you need to be like Jesus. Withdraw and go and spend time with your father. The church will, will be fine without you. Yes, that's part of the reason. But another reason is because Steve Keller, your pastor, I have been doing this, not here, but I've been doing pastoral ministry since 1989. And until my, my loving elders drew me up short, I realized I have never stopped. How many years is that? I don't even want to add it up. How many years is that? That's a lot of years. Too many years. Yes. I'm married 27 to 28 years. I, I have not stopped. And honestly, for me, I love to preach. I love to shepherd. But if I am very honest with you, I have become far too crowded and cluttered and busy in my life as a pastor. My wife will tell you, he's a great guy. He's really not a monster behind the scenes, but this dude has not stopped in a long, long time. And also because I need to live what I preach. You know, KPC is actually not my church. It belongs to him. This is Jesus' church. And if a church revolves around one guy, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And so for me, I'll just tell you this. I, I'm at that place where I have to live what I preach. I need to get still. But there are also some fears that I'm being forced to face in my life with a sabbatical. One of those fears is, well, you know, is, is this going to hurt the church? The Lord's already answered that question. <laughs> the answer is no. Lord, maybe these people will discover that I'm not all that. The Lord's like, well, you know what, that is kind of true, so maybe it's time they did discover that, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and so on. But see, I, just, I bring that up because when it comes to the issue of rest, we all have a lot of fears in our lives. And fear is the enemy of rest. It's an absolute, it's an absolute enemy. And every one of us is the people of God. We need, and I'm telling you this, you know, I usually don't say, you need to, but I'm telling you, you need to. You need to enter into his rest. You and I need to be a people who are saying yes to the invitation of Jesus Christ in Matthew 11:28. I'll read it for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will, again the promise, I promise, you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Moses has testified. Jesus has invited. We don't want to still be out there somewhere else beside in the resting place with God. Today I call you as a body, as individuals that I'm looking at right now in eyes, I call you into the rest of God in Jesus' name. 
All right. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.